Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sofen. In the Smart Firefighting Podcast, we cover technology and innovation trends across public safety. Here in this mini-series from the recent Innershit show at Hanover, Germany in June 2022, we bring you more than 12 episodes from the show floor. We have a lot of amazing speakers, and I'm really excited for all your feedback from this content. I find myself asking everyone to paint a picture in these episodes quite a bit, so bear with me because it was really hard to fully capture the Innershit event in words. A key message that we hear multiple times throughout this podcast is that in order to innovate in public safety, we must ask questions and listen to first responders. We've got two ears and one mouth, so let's use them accordingly. This episode of Smart Firefighting is brought to you by Darley. Darley supports first responders and military with best-in-class fire pumps, first responder equipment like virtual reality training and drones, and a wider range of defense solutions. To learn more, visit darley.com. That's D-A-R-L-E-Y dot com. In this episode, we have none other than the U.S. Fire Administrator, Dr. Lori Moore Merrill. Lori is a wealth of knowledge and all around just a joy to spend time with. In our chat, we discuss new ways to build resilience in the fire service, the state of wildfires around the world, innovative methods to approach community risk reduction, ways that we can learn from the international fire community, and of course, Lori's favorite topic, data. I know you will get lots of knowledge and value from this one. Make sure to connect with Lori on LinkedIn, check out the show notes, and be on the lookout for upcoming events from FEMA and the U.S. Fire Administration. Wow, it is uh, Tuesday, June 21st, 10, 10 a.m. in the morning. We're in Hanover, Germany, and I'm sitting alongside Dr. Lori Moore-Merrill. Lori, it's so great to see you. Good morning, Kevin. I'm really happy to be here with you. This is quite the convention hall. Oh my, it's quite the one of the many convention halls, right? Plural, convention (laughs) halls. I know many of us think and hear about FDIC, which is an amazing show, happens in Indianapolis every year. I've always heard about Innershoots, but never never knew I was going to end up coming here, let alone sitting here in a booth in the middle of Hanover talking to you on the podcast. There you go. And we have to, uh, it's almost indescribable, right? It's uh, FDIC on steroids, I think. This is like five... 10 times what we see there. So this amazing experience. And I think the international collaboration that we are hoping to have while we're here. And it began yesterday. So very excited about the opportunity to be here. Yeah, me too. And get to talk with you here, Kevin. Why, why, thank you very much. It is an honor. I was actually thinking about when we first met and first connected. Do you remember how we first connected? I remember it must have been over technology, but I don't remember where. It was during COVID. Okay. It was the internet. And you actually had watched one of our webinars and you reached out to me when you were with your previous endeavor and said, hey, I'd love to talk about data in the fire service. And I said, that sounds great. We should talk. (laughs) I do remember and I'm not surprised at all that that was my statement. Yeah. And then I think we had you on a webinar with uh, Chief uh, Todd LaDuke, Sarah Junkie, Brian Frieders, when we talked about uh, health and wellness and using data in the fire service. Yes, yes. Talking about firefighter exposure and limiting cancer, carcinogen exposure, and trying to figure out how we stop the cancers in the fire service. No shortage of things that we could spend this next 10 to 30 or 45 minutes, however long the conversation is. Uh, but I also preface everyone that we're on the show floor of Intershoot, so it may not be Hollywood production quality, but it's, it's pretty darn good. But you mentioned earlier being here, international collaboration and excitement of look around and I see all this amazing tech. 
what here have you seen? What are you excited about here in regards to technology and or learning from our international partners? You know, as I walked around just yesterday, I was trying to get lay of the land, first of all. And each of the halls are pretty specific to what is contained in that hall. And so we have an apparatus hall, large apparatus. We've got a, a you know, medium-sized apparatus for different functionality. There's a medical hall for all our EMS. And uh, so that was, that was intriguing. But I think the one that excited me the most was the technology and data hall, of course. And so once I found that, it was it's completely blown away by the capabilities that are here. Everything from advanced robotics to data capture to sensors in the field to new technology for smoke detectors. So I saw yesterday, just uh, just walking through, so I didn't get to spend a lot of time, but that is probably, of course, given my, my bent uh, toward data and technology, probably my favorite hall. So I'll be going back there today. Yeah, it's tough because you want to spend time here. I guess that's the reason why the show is six days long. Yes, <laughs> yes. You need, uh, you need that time if you really want to explore it. And of course, when you're manning booths and everyone wants to talk to you, it makes it even harder. But yeah, it's, I've, I've walked around and just kind of, I, you see some of the, just coming from the American Fire Service, just how things, ultimately the same goal of supporting first responders and using technology to do that, but different ways that maybe around the world where we're going about it. And what I'm interested about this show is the learning from each other and these international best practices where from Africa to Asia to Europe to the Americas, what are certain things that we can do to learn from each other? And what have, what have you seen from like the international dialogue or the international exchange of how, how we're doing that? And what can we from the US Fire Service learn from the international fire service? And how can we apply that to support first responders at home? You know, that's a great question. And I think before we begin to learn, we have to begin to listen. And just as I listened yesterday, um, the Ukraine firefighters were here telling their story. And it is it's stunning. And it's unlike any that anybody else is experiencing right now with their loss of life, just being firefighters and the loss of their apparatus and, and the, the impact on them overall as a fire department, um, that they are, you know, in a war zone. And then we, we moved to here just in the opening ceremonies yesterday about the European fire departments, whether it was Germany or Italy, you know, on and on, they were talking about many of the same things we're talking about. Everything from wildland fire. So in northern Germany yesterday, they're talking about wildland fire and hoping for rain to help them extinguish the fire. Well, it's the same thing we're talking about in New Mexico and Arizona and Alaska right now. And so those are the kinds of things. We've got flooding in India. We have flooding, right, in Montana. So if we listen we'll see that we are more alike um, than we are different. And I think that the challenges for the fire service in the U.S. are very similar to the challenges in other countries. I listened yesterday, and it was the Polish fire service that was talking about what we would refer to as community risk reduction. And that's exactly what he was explaining, is that we have to reduce our risk. We have to prevent fire. We have to um, deal with an ongoing fire problem and I'm like, you know, this could be in the U.S. We're having this exact same conversation. And so that is just a, a glimpse of my day yesterday and the start of the day today. So I'm excited for this collaboration and the, the global span of, of knowledge and just understanding we are on the same page. 
with our issues, we should be on the same page with our solutions. Very well said and insightful. And, and one phrase that I think about my family talk about is the phrase of same, same, but different. Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, we're fighting the same problems and they're slightly you know, colored and textured in different ways. But especially when you think about natural disasters in certain ways, some that are accelerated or not by various factors at play, but thinking about wildfires and floods. One thing I know for sure is mother nature doesn't really care. Us humans sometimes are living our life and, and there are unfortunate things that happen, but we know that there are ways that we can prepare for that. I love that one phrase of the, the best disaster or the best fire is the one that doesn't happen. Yes. Or how we respond to disasters is, is really kind of a testament to our learning from past experiences, from lessons learned from Hurricane Katrina to lessons learned from other uh, various events. And so that, that lessons learned is such a, I think, important part of the story. But what I liked about what you talked to is community risk reduction. That's something I, I've, I've been very fond of learning from Joe Powers. And he's, he's done a lot amongst many, many other people uh, within the CRR space. And that point in particular, and even let's say, let's put on your data wizard hat of like, what are your thoughts on community risk reduction? And like, what are some things right now that excite you about CRR? Is there stuff other, other places around the world that intrigue you? And what would you say to the CRR community or those that haven't really thought about CRR and how should they think about CRR? You know, I think with community risk reduction, and that's our terminology in the fire service. If I talk about it within FEMA, which is where the U.S. Fire Administration sits, then the word is resilience. And so what we are focused on is, is understanding what does that mean? And if we put it in the scope of what we all understand, which is response, right? Well, response, when it happens, if there hasn't been community risk reduction or resilience building, hardening of structures, preventing the fire that you mentioned, preparing the population, then response is much more risky for the responders, right? The risk is greater, the risk escalation is greater in the event they're responding to. If there has been no preparedness beforehand, resilience, community risk reduction, if I don't reduce the risk, then the risk I'm responding to is much greater. That means that the recovery then is also greater, right? It's gonna take longer, it's gonna take more money, it's gonna take all of those things to recover. Where if, and it's almost you know, circular, that if I had built resilience, if I had done community risk reduction, then my response to an event that does indeed occur, and we want to prevent them from occurring, but inevitable with human behavior, and we throw in the human factor, things are going to happen. But if I have contained them to a much smaller event, whatever the event, a wildland ignition, a wooey ignition in the interface, an emergency medical call, right? If we have done our part as the fire service in the CRR arena, then our responses are reduced or the magnitude of the response is reduced, if it's, we're talking about an individual, right? Which means our recovery is much shorter, much less expensive. And so if we put that to scale, this is how we see this from a CRR affecting response, affecting recovery, and uh, minimizing the needs uh, for resources and minimizing the need for you know, outlay of, um, of capital in recovery. So this is something we're, we're focused on uh, very much within the U.S. Fire Administration and certainly within uh, FEMA. And I think it's something that internationally, we're hearing the same conversations. Yeah, it, it isn't, yes, prevention is important, but I liked how you said is it's also 
the shorter recovery time frame. It's the maximizing the resources during the response time. So it's it's a CRR is, is very wide encompassing in terms of if you do your homework and you prepare properly, usually good things will happen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in school, you study for the test. Usually you're probably gonna do better if you didn't study. Yes, so yes, I concur. You mentioned wildfire and I know that's been maybe just uh, for better or for worse or just not, I don't, you know, that's the best way to say it, but just we hear it all the time. Wildfires have been all over the news and something have, has, has tragically impacted a lot of people in North America and around the world. Give me your kind of 40,000 foot view on the state of wildfires. And are they just happening more? How are we addressing them? Like, what do we need to do better moving forward the rest of this year and moving forward to better prepare, better respond, all that? What do you, what do you think? Well, I think that's a, we could spend all day talking about this one. So first of all, I think it's the understanding and many times we'll hear, even in the decision maker arena, we hear wildland, right? And what I try to do is every time I speak about wildfire is to explain the difference. It's not always wildland fire, okay? And we do that because we're accustomed to that vernacular. The truth of the matter is that wildland is a location. It is not an entity. The interface is a location. Suburbia is a location. Our neighborhoods, these are locations. Wildfire is the entity we're concerned about. Where wildfire occurs, if it's in the wildland or if it's in the interface. So this is is, uh, something we have to be cognizant. The words matter. And so right now we have a lot of focus on wildland and our partners at the Department of Interior and Department of Agriculture, certainly within forestry, they are concerned about the wild land as a location because that's where we see a lot of ignition, whether it's lightning strikes or human behavior. We do see a lot of ignition in that area that spreads to the interface. But the truth of the matter is that a lot of these fires are igniting in the interface, wildfires, and spreading into the wild land. And so we have to understand the difference and document appropriately what is, is reality of what's happening. Now, I say that to say this. We have then two different types of firefighters. There are wildland firefighters, we call them the yellow shirts. There are structural firefighters, the blue shirts. And what we have to focus on many times is making sure that each of them are trained to do one or the other. And there's a third arena in which they must both perform, and that is the interface. Because if I send a wildland firefighter into the interface, which is built environment, where it meets the wildland, then they're dealing with structures. Well, they don't have appropriate SCBA for that. They don't have appropriate PPE for that. And so what we're talking about is exposure protection. Well, the same thing if I were to turn that around and say, let me send structural firefighters into a suburban conflagration, which is what we saw in Colorado. Now we're talking about structural firefighters with multiple structures when they're trained to do interior attack. Well, you don't do that when you've got multiple structures down the street on fire. It's a totally different tactical approach if we're fighting fire in the interface where we've got ember movement, where we have, again, multiple structures igniting. So we move into a structural protection, exposure protection, and we save what we can. Well, that's a different mindset for structural firefighters. And so we have to train appropriately for that. And this is something that we are, are talking about very heavily, not just within the U.S. Fire Administration and FEMA, but with our partners uh, in the the wildland firefighting community, but also with the White House, because this is something we have to address. 
like you said, I think we could spend a whole day on that. And uh, I, I think I know you've probably gone to many events where this is all you talk about. And so much of what you said, and one thing that really resonated with me is why the language and vernacular is so important. And particularly when, when speaking about new tech or new initiatives in the fire service and that fire service is very progressive. There are a lot of, there is willingness to adopt change and with the goal of protecting people, protecting lives, protecting and making first responders better, faster, safer. But I do, I think that the way we approach it is that it's not, we're not going about disrupting and we're not trying to overhaul stuff by night. You know, it's having these conversations, acknowledging that there's these challenges that exist and coming to the table, having civil discourse, you know, have, and, you know having, having friendly debates that are based in facts and reality. And I think that's, that's what we try to accomplish with this podcast. We try to accomplish with, with coming here where it's, just, it's important to have a conversation with two people about what's at hand. And, and, and again, to the point of the, the verbiage is important. So I, any, anything else you would add on to my little rant right there? You know, I think that all of that's important. And the biggest thing is that we often have debate because it's an uneducated debate. Right. If we listen before we talk, and that's something I learned growing up. You know, you have two ears and one mouth I for was a reason. About to say that same thing. Yes, right. Sure. And so we we listen and we learn from each other before we speak. And I think that's important. Let me learn, and then I can reason, right, and strategically think about a solution or a plan forward or a possibility for collaboration. And and that's one of the things that that through my career I've tried to think about how. Anytime I meet someone and I hear what you're doing, I want to hear what you're doing because I'm always already thinking about how can we do something together? How can we work together to make, you know, whether it's firefighter exposure better, whether it is data capture better and analytics, whether it's, you know, the wildfire issue, how can we work together to come up with a solution? Because you bring something to the table, I bring something to the table. And if we can learn from each other and then move forward together, then it's better, right? Yep. Again, we're back to basics here. Two heads better than one, three heads, right? But we have to be prepared to listen and learn before we move toward, toward resolution. Love it, Lori. So rapid fire here at the end of, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and technologists that listen to our podcast and those that are trying to bring technology into the space and, and maybe some that don't have fire experience, some that do have fire experience. What is your message to entrepreneurs, technologies, entrepreneurs at companies trying to create new tech for the fire service, what would be your message to them about how they should approach, embrace, and explore integrating new technology into the fire service? Oh, I love that question. Again, Kevin, all day we could do this. <laughs> so I think innovation is going to be key. We have to have new ways of thinking because we still have a little bit of a contingent that is, you know, stuck in the way we've always done it. And we can't do that. We have to do data capture. I often say this, I, I, why am I asking a firefighter to go back to the station and put in data when I should be able to capture it either from the scene when they're finished with their, you know, overhaul, if it was a fire, whatever, when we are, are shutting down and cleaning up, now let me capture some things, even visually, photography, voice recording, why do I have them going back and, and putting in times when it's coming straight off the CAD, right? Their dispatch system. So think about data capture. If I want to record the weather, the weather's already recorded by NOAA and others, National Weather Service. Why can I capture that data instead of asking someone to enter it? So we have to be innovative in our thinking. We've got to leverage current technology for data sharing via APIs. 
we want you know state of the art software with business analytics and machine learning capability with AI, right? There's so much that we can do. So I would say dream big, but understand the industry. So don't just create things and think you know the fire service. Spend time with the fire service and then reason. Again, listen, reasoning, strategic thinking, and then we come up with solutions. So well said. And yeah, I think that's important to think. We always have to reinvent the wheel. You can just be a small piece of a larger puzzle. And, yes. And that's that, that collaboration is so important. And so I just thank you for all your time today. And I guess final question is, what would be a final message or uh, a Lori mic drop here at the show of a, something that you would want to leave with everyone listening here today? Oh, wow. Let's just say meet someone new today. Find out what's special about them. Why are they here? What do they hope to get from their experience in inner shoots and be prepared to be wowed, right? Be prepared mm. to learn. So I, I think that that's where I would focus today is let's be in the moment, understand the moment and capture what you can that, from this experience. That your earlier comment of uh, those who'll be listening to this after inner shoots of go and ask questions, talk to a firefighter, talk, go and do the fire department. I was talking to a company the other day and none of them were in the fire service. And I said, just go knock on the door and talk to them. Ask them what they have for breakfast. What, is, yes. what, is, what keeps them up at night? What, ask them about their truck and just talk and listen. Uh, you're going to learn a lot more than reading books and, and watching YouTube videos. Um, just having those conversations are so important. And um, Laura, you continue to exemplify that. And uh, just want to thank you for everything they do for, for the fire industry in, in the USA, around the world, and just all around being a really awesome, cool person. So thank Aww. you. Kevin, right back at you. Thank yeah. you so much for what you're doing to share and be innovative because you're a leader in innovation uh, for all of us. So thank you. Thank you. And last thing is, I love your ring, by the way. Oh, thank you. I, got, I have a great husband to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Give, give me a quick context. <laughs> it's a beautiful ring for those that who is, can't uh, see That is, my husband's from it? Seattle. Okay. And so Seattle's the Emerald City, as you know. Well, I love Emerald. So this was my um, engagement ring from a very, very wonderful husband, Rich Merrill. And so Emeralds. Emeralds, Rich, uh, you're a yeah. good man. I got married last July, July 9th. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you to Laura. And I am a big water guy. And so I got a sapphire and it's her grandma's diamond. Beautiful. On the side. So a similar style with a, yeah. a colored diamond with some, or a colored stone with some diamonds on the side. So it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, thank you, Rich, for the beautiful diamond. Ah, uh, yes. Great guy. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for everything. Have a great rest of your day and excited for the rest of the show. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me today and taking the time. Till next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast today. If you enjoyed what you heard and got any value, please drop us a rating, leave us a comment, or reach out to us on social media. Have a great day, and together we can advance the future of smart firefighting.